Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Boston Sanctuary since 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the Boston metropolitan area and beyond. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. We're located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets in downtown Boston, Massachusetts. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. My friend Martha Hagner Leith, just home from her junior year abroad, is describing waiting for a train in Nepal. The train is late, she says, very late. You've waited for hours, but you don't want to leave the station because it's supposed to come, although that doesn't seem to factor into whether or not it actually comes, and you're torn, leave the station or stay, because if you leave and then it comes, how are you going to feel that you have not only wasted all that time you'd spent waiting for the train, but on top of that, you missed the train? This memory is more than 30 years old but it has taken its place among the iconic moments in which I understood some undeniable truth. So much of life is like waiting for that train. I am sitting with a man whose mother has recently died. In addition to declining health, she has suffered with untreated mental illness and addiction most of her life. Their relationship was fraught. He has come to me to try to understand the force of his grief, which shocks him. Is it, I ask, that now that she's really, truly gone, you have to give up the hope that she'll change? Now she will never be the mother for whom you longed. Oh, the things for which we wait. Doesn't it seem sometimes like we spend all our time waiting? Estimates range from 45 to 62 minutes a day waiting for the gas tank to fill, waiting for an elevator, waiting for a program to download, waiting in line at the grocery store or bank, at restaurants or theaters or amusement parks, waiting at traffic signals. And then there's higher level waiting, waiting for wounds to heal, seeds to sprout, babies to be born, grown children to visit. In a lifetime of 70 years, we spend at least three years waiting. Do we like to wait? No, we do not. I'll wager I'm safe in assuming that waiting is not a very popular pastime. Well, I've changed my mind about waiting, and I thought I'd invite you along for the ride. You knew this was coming. Introducing the spiritual practice of waiting. Father Henry Nouwen, a Dutch-born Catholic priest, frames the reflection, I wonder what waiting means in the context 
of our spiritual lives. I met Henry while I was waiting. Actually, I was waiting in jail. It was Good Friday in 1983 or 1984. A group of us from Harvard and Yale Divinity Schools had been arrested for civil disobedience, protesting the launch of a Trident nuclear submarine. The Harvard gang was charged with criminal trespass. We were planting seeds on the grounds of the Groton Shipworks. Scared of me. So we were waiting in jail, waiting for our lawyer, classmate Stuart Guernsey, to free us, waiting to head back to Boston, where many of us were serving churches as field ed students and really, really needed to be bright-eyed and bushy-tailed for the big show on Easter morning. And as the afternoon wore on, our waiting was accompanied incongruously by a solo voice chanting exultantly over and over, Jubilate Deo, Jubilate Deo, Alleluia. It was Henry, the Father Henry Nowen, although I didn't know it at the time. It was an extraordinary lesson in the spiritual practice of waiting. In three words, don't wait. Sing. Well, that's one variation anyway. What if instead of looking at our watch, shifting from one foot to the other, trying to see around the person in front of us to determine whether or not the line is moving and when it will be our turn, what if we just started singing? I dare you. I dare you not to wait. Henry Nouwen thinks one of the reasons we hate to wait is that we are afraid. We deeply fear the unknown, he says, and want to control it as much as possible. Fear urges us to get away from where we are. What would it mean to wait, he asks, rather than to act? And then he goes to a theological place to which you may or may not relate, but it's certainly worth saying. Henry sees all our waiting as waiting for God. Translate God as love, if you like, and see if that feels true or helpful. All waiting is waiting for love, the full revelation of the promise of love. And God, he says, love waits for us. The spiritual practice of waiting is attentiveness. The high wire spiritual practice of waiting is attentiveness without expectation of outcome. Late on a long ago summer night in Santa Fe, Our friend Nula was driving home from dinner at our house. A young man test driving a motorcycle. No lights, no license, and no helmet. Crossed St. Francis Drive and slammed into the back of her van. The bike crumpled like a can. The EMT attending his deathly still body looked up at Nula and gave 
the thumbs down. As they loaded him into the ambulance, his vital signs were crashing. That was one of the most extraordinary nights of my life. We waited, and it is always better to wait together. A small group of us gathered in vigil, trying to hold Nula through the long darkness. We wept. We prayed. Hours passed in almost complete silence. The irony of the fact that Nula was pregnant with her first child, a son, was lost on no one. Reached at home, her lawyer advised her not to contact the young man under any circumstances. I called the hospital every hour to check on him. He was still alive. Nula is a spectacularly courageous and stubborn woman. The long night's wait yielded a profound clarity and resolve in her. As the sun rose over the desert, she turned to me and said, I have to go to him. I didn't try to dissuade her. There wouldn't have been any point. She insisted we stop and buy a spray of irises. From the hospital hall, we could see that the young man's room was teeming with family and friends. He was propped up in bed, his head bandaged, and his face raw with road rash. Without so much as a deep breath, Nula stepped through the door, flowers in hand. The room fell silent. I'm the one who is driving the van, she said in a strong voice, edged with sadness. I'm so sorry. Like Lazarus, the young man rose and threw back the sheet, swung his legs over the edge, stood, and opened his arms to her. 12th century English mystic Julian of Norwich said, all will be well, and all will be well, and all manner of things will be well. Father Nowen writes, waiting is active. Most of us consider waiting as something very passive, a hopeless state determined by events totally out of our hands. But let there be none of this passivity. Those of us who are waiting are waiting very actively. We know that for which we are waiting is growing from the ground on which we are standing. Right here is a secret for us about waiting. If we wait in the conviction that a seed has been planted and that something has already begun, it changes the way we wait. The word patience, he continues, patience implies the willingness to stay where we are and live out the situation to the full in the belief that something hidden will manifest itself to us. Patient living 
means to live actively in the present and wait here. Impatient people expect the real thing to happen somewhere else, and therefore they want to get away from the present situation and go elsewhere. For them, the present moment is empty. But patient people dare to stay where they are. Waiting is not passive. Father Nowen concludes, active waiting implies being fully present to the moment with the conviction that something is happening where we are and that we want to be present to it. A waiting person is someone who is present to the moment, believing that this moment is the moment. Margaret Trost was widowed at 34. In 2000, she went to Haiti to heal her broken heart through service. Partnering with a parish there, she created the What If Foundation, which has now raised over $1.5 million to support a feeding program for children, serving up to 7,500 meals every week, as well as tuition for nearly 200 children, an after-school program, and a summer camp. Margaret Trost's favorite saying in Creole is petit petit arrive, little by little we will arrive, petit petit arrive, little by little we will arrive. To say that the Haitian people know about waiting is the grossest understatement. Here's a vignette from Margaret Trost's remarkable book, On That Day, Everybody Ate. Deforestation has turned much of Haiti into near desert. In the countryside, it's hard to find water. The rainy season is unpredictable, and some of the few sources dry up. In the city, she writes, no one in the neighborhood had running water. Father Jerry told me the water pipes had broken five years earlier, and the city couldn't afford to fix them. Women and children spend their days walking back and forth on the rugged roads to get water from a pump. Most of the diseases that kill Haitian children come from drinking contaminated water, water flowing through rusty pipes and dirty faucets, water carried home in old paint or oil containers. Clean water is precious beyond measure. One day, thick black clouds moved in over the mountains. We grabbed each other's hands and dashed for the church, she writes, while vendors rushed to cover their fruit stands. Kids playing soccer with a crushed soda can stopped and took cover. Within seconds, the fierce storm turned the road into a river. A young boy, about 13, walked casually across the churchyard, undisturbed by the wind and rain. He was carrying a bar of soap in his hand. I watched him stop at a corner of the church and position himself directly under a stream that poured off the pitched roof, rushing down at the perfect angle for an outdoor shower. There, in the middle of the afternoon, in the midst of thunder and lightning, he stood in his shorts and washed, rinsed off, and headed back home. The storm moved through quickly, Margaret Trost continues. It was so hot 
The humidity was thick and the fans weren't working. As I sat in the second pew on the left, I looked at the woman seated with us and wondered if they felt as thirsty as I did. They must have. But they sang and prayed and followed the liturgy with an attention and devotion that rose above thirst. I waited for the service to end, wishing that I could stop thinking about water. Later, my neighbor poured me a tall glass of bottled water in her kitchen. We have much to learn about waiting from the people of Haiti. To begin, we can learn this by heart. Petit, petit n'arrive. Little by little, we will arrive. Let's close with Father Henry now. And waiting is open-ended, he writes. Open-ended waiting is hard for us because we tend to wait for something that we wish to have, but we do not know if or when we will have it. Much of our waiting is filled with wishes, and our waiting easily gets entangled in those wishes. We want the future to go in a very specific direction, and if this does not happen, we are disappointed and even slip into despair. What will life be like if I do not get the things for which I wish? Here we realize how our wishes tend to be connected with our fears. And fear prevents us from allowing time for open-ended waiting. Instead, our waiting is a way of controlling the future. The alternative is hope. Hope is always open-ended. I have found it very important, he concludes, to try to let go of my wishes and instead to live in hope. I am finding that when I choose to let go of my sometimes petty and superficial wishes, something new, something beyond my own expectations begins to happen for me. To wait with openness and trust is an enormously radical attitude toward life. It is choosing to hope that something is happening that is far beyond our imaginings. It is giving up the illusion of control over our future. Our spiritual life is a life in which we wait actively present to the moment, expecting that new things will happen to us. My spiritual companions, the train may and may not come. Either way, we will be waiting for three years. Jubilate Deo. Jubilate Deo. Let's sing. Let us transform our waiting to a spiritual practice of attentiveness without expectation of outcome. Bring flowers in the hope that something is growing.
after the flower, the fruit. The last words, a question, go to poet Mary Oliver. I don't know exactly what a prayer is. I do know how to pay attention, how to fall down into the grass, how to kneel down in the grass, how to be idle and blessed, how to stroll through the fields, which is what I have been doing all day. Tell me, what else should I have done? Doesn't everything die at last and too soon? Tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life.